Hi, this is Amy Thompson. I'm the Dean of Enrollment at Loomis Chafee School, and this is the Genuine Admissions Podcast. Today, I'm really excited to sit down to have a conversation with Elizabeth Parada, our Dean of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion here at Loomis Chafee. Elizabeth is uh, an experienced educator, mentor, and leader, not only in areas of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Loomis, but she's held many different roles on our campus over the course of her career here. And I'm really excited to talk to her today about the changes that she's seen and the time that she's been at Loomis Chafee, not just on campus, but, but off campus in the independent boarding school space, um, surrounding issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm excited to share with you um, what we're doing at Loomis Chafee uh, with these issues, um, how our students are responding to them, the structures that we've set up to enable those great conversations to happen. Uh, I know that I feel extremely energized about uh, the direction that the school is taking, but I, I can also say from a personal standpoint that uh, having been here for 13, 14 years now, it is a commitment that is, has been a significant commitment uh, for, for a long time at Loomis Chafee. Actually, Elizabeth likes to say going all the way back to our founding, right, Elizabeth? That's right, Amy. Thank you so much for having me over today. I'm very excited to be able to share um, a little bit about the work that's been going on since I've been here. And yes, I would say that the work has been going um, all the way back to our founders and granted it's taken different shapes and, and it's uh, evolved over time to, to match the needs that, that we are facing. But um, the founders from their uh, inception of the school and the charter for the school were very progressive for their day and wanted to have education that was accessible to all uh, without um, financial barriers um, that allowed people of all backgrounds and creeds to, to attend the school and was also a school for, um, for girls and boys, which at the time um, was quite significant. So um, taking that uh, notion and expanding it to what we have uh, become as a nation and what we've observed are, are um, I guess the, the, the ways in which we've addressed the inequities are in the country, um, the school has been uh, right up and uh, taking care of uh, whatever needs are required. Sometimes more effectively than others, that's true, but mm -hmm. uh, growing all the, all the time. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, so, so you mentioned, you know, that it's something that is growing all the time. And so I'd love for you to talk just a little bit about, about yourself and about, you know, your, your career and your role here at Loomis, not just today, but also, you know, over the time that you've been here. So I've been um, at Loomis since 1999, and um, at the time I had been hired to be a teacher and to work in diversity as um, somewhat of a coordinator. Uh, that was the role at the time, and I was putting my time equally between teaching and um, assisting the school with diversity needs. The role at the time was something that was much more uh, about what are the uh, immediate needs of our students of color specifically, and, um, and how do we meet them in the moment. Uh, there was really very little structure in place at the school that said, um, 
what are we doing that is uh, ongoing and that is going to be more responsive institutionally to address the needs of this community. And, um, and it worked fine at the time, given where we were um, as an institution and given where the nation was in terms of understanding the needs of our uh, students of um, underrepresented backgrounds in our community. So um, at the time, um, I was pretty much just an advisor to the students and would offer suggestions to administration and, and would run programs that were specifically aimed for the students. And um, that has definitely evolved over time. The majority of our schools really, when they were created, despite progressive perspectives uh, at the beginning, uh, were created in a nation that um, didn't understand the, the needs, nor was it really set up to take care of the needs of uh, particularly our uh, black and brown communities. Um, some people would say that it's a historically white institution as many in the country were. And so as time goes on, we've adapted um, to address the need of our students that come from different backgrounds. So, so that's definitely evolved. It's evolved in terms of my own um, approach to the work that I do um, in terms of this, the institution understanding how it needs to, to grow and uh, put more time and effort and resources um, into uh, becoming a much more inclusive and equitable space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that, that's really interesting. So the whole concept of that it almost started as an advisory role to support um, students specifically, right? And, and when I think about the DEI office here at Loomis, I, I see it as having really a few different kind of prongs, if you will, and only one of which right now is student support, it seems. Um, and, and while that's, that's extremely important, it's actually only one element, I think, of, of what we do. And certainly faculty, um, faculty professional development and, uh, you know, support for faculty, curriculum review, you know, all of these other kind of institutional things that you mentioned. Uh, I, I'm you know, I'm wondering, were, were there conversations that were happening earlier about these things when you first started? Because it sounds like that it wasn't quite in that particular vein, although certainly Loomis, as true with many schools, has always offered professional development for faculty around these issues. It seems like there's much more kind of structured intentionality um, in recent years. And I'm also wondering if that has, if that's also kind of something you're seeing on the national landscape as well. I think that as a nation, um, we certainly are much more aware of what we need to do in order to uh, meet the needs of all of our students. And our school in many ways reflected that journey. So when we started and my role was much more about what our students need right now, the, the, um, the role in many ways was much more of a, a response to a need. Um, it was not anticipating, it wasn't planning ahead and creating a system that would automatically address the needs without having to wait for something to happen in order to respond. Um, I feel as though um, in some ways any institution, including Loomis Chafee, still needs to be able to 
respond and react to situations as they come, but we shouldn't be centered specifically in, in doing that. Um, we know and we can anticipate what are some of the issues that our students are going to come with and what are some of the issues that all of our students and our, all of our community needs to understand better in order to be a more um, equitable and, and uh, uh, socially just space. And one of the things that I draw from is our mission, our school mission, uh, where we state that we are um, uh, committed to that growth of our students, that they are uh, becoming citizens of the world. I'm paraphrasing here, by the way. <laughs> and that they are also um, uh, part of a world that is very diverse and they need to be able to, to um, participate in, in this world in a manner that allows them to be their best selves. Mm -hmm. And so I feel that the, the school has certainly uh, grown and I do see this as a national uh, evolution. Um, and I think that for many uh, schools, the journey has been a little bit more challenging than, than for others. And so we are all in different states and stages of that development and growth. Um, but the journey that Loomis JV has undertaken uh, has been significant. Mm -hmm. And so now we are not looking at reacting and responding. For, for several years now, we've been thinking about what is the policy? What is the, the general um, um, plan in order to anticipate these uh, needs? Um, we've had an institution that was in place when I arrived called PRISM. It's uh, People Rising in Support of Multiculturalism. And as, a, as an organization on campus, it's been extraordinarily powerful in terms of the support and the type of um, sense of a community within a community that helps to strengthen and validate the experiences of students of color or allies and um, that um, makes something that could potentially be awkward or uncomfortable or, or maybe not understood fully um, easier to navigate. Um, but since then, in the past few years, we've seen um, the creation of affinity group spaces for, for people of uh, the same identities. Um, and um, the importance of these affinity groups um, is that while giving space for people of a similar um, identity, so for instance, for Black students or for Latinx students or for um, uh, LGBTQI students to gather and process what's going on in their experience, it allows them to understand where they stand in within that experience. It allows them to create and, and strengthen their own inner resources um, and have a space that they can, um, sometimes it's a sounding board to understand and know where they stand mm -hmm. so that they're strengthened and empowered to be in a community that you know, is going to be perhaps less reflective of their own identity, but where they can navigate it with comfort and they can be their, um, their best self in that community. So it's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity for students to um, develop their, their own identities and their own selves and feel empowered and strengthened. And that's what we want to see in all of our students, uh, just that some students need that reinforcement uh, a little bit more than others. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and then, uh, you know, the, the point that 
the differences between if you know affiliate and ally organizations on campus is definitely something that I think has been a, a really exciting change um, where it also enables students the um, the ally organizations enable students to learn more about uh, and from other people who are different from, from them. And so that's one of the best parts about going to a national and international boarding community is, you know, the students who were admitting on the front end into a community like Loomis, we're looking for students who want to have that engagement, who want to learn about the world, who want to become, as you said before, those global citizens. And so also provide providing organizations where they have the opportunity to, you know, to go to a meeting, to go to an event. I think about cultural outburst, for example, um, you know, where students can learn about different cultures, but it, it also enables within that type of a, an event, there is also a space for groups to come together as safe spaces for support. And so it's not then up to those particular individuals who affiliate with a particular identity to then have to quote unquote educate everyone else around them uh, because there is also the opportunity for them to receive support from each other. I love opening the daily bulletin and seeing all the different things that the groups are doing all the time, whether they're affinity groups or ally groups or cultural groups or whatever it might be. Um, I guess, you know, we've talked a lot about supporting of students. I, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the work that your office does, particularly with faculty and particularly in conjunction with the Kravis Center, because we do talk quite a bit about the Kravis Center here uh, with our families. The fact that, you know, yes, there are great teachers that are born, but we really believe that great teachers are also made and, you know, and that professional development is a significant focus of our faculty here at Loomis with the center, the Kravis Center for, um, for Excellence in Teaching specifically designed for that with a full-time director, et cetera, et cetera. And I know that uh, over the past year or two, uh, there's been a lot more kind of cross-pollination with your office in the Kravis Center. So I'd love you to talk a little bit about faculty? So um, I would say that um, one of the um, most exciting things that has happened is the expansion of DEI and the office of DEI in our community. And this actually began perhaps um, about a couple of years ago um, when I moved from Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion to, to Dean of Directory uh, of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion to um, also be invited to be part of the senior administrative team. And, um, and so my, my office and my staff began to grow um, slowly. And then this year it's reached its maximum capacity and even expanded into the, the Kravis Center. We have uh, two uh, particularly um, special individuals who were added to the staff in um, the Kravis Center who are devoting their efforts and their energy towards uh, looking at uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives and how they're integrated into our teaching practices. So um, that has basically um, given an added um, structure of support um, that, his, that, that allows my office to deal with more of the interpersonal issues um, and that leaves some of the pedagogical work to the DE, um, of DEI to the Kravis Center. Mm -hmm. And so um, 
there are a couple of things that have happened. I've seen, for instance, the, that the Kravis Center uh, created this, this really powerful uh, video for um, the summer work that we did um, to prepare for, for this year and the yes. changes in terms of virtual learning. Mm -hmm. In that video, they did an extraordinary job of thinking about how does the work uh, of DEI come into the classroom, both from the perspective of what we are teaching but also how we're teaching it. We are uh, constantly bringing in um, speakers and presenters to offer workshops. And so, for instance, last year we had a two-hour workshop with Dr. Liza Toulousen, which I thought was really effective in terms of understanding uh, how our own um, biases um, that are, um, you know, that, that we're blind to are interfering and, and getting in the way of our best work. Um, and this year, we've actually engaged with Dr. Derek Gay to do very comprehensive work. Um, as you were part of it too, Amy, uh, we did the training with the senior administrative team that, that we spent yep. nine hours with, with Dr. Gay this summer. Um, and he's also going to be working with our board of trustees in actually just about a week or two um, mm -hmm. in mid-October. Mm -hmm. and, um, and he's also going to be working with our faculty. Um, so, so that, and, and his work with faculty is going to be um, in two ways. One is direct work with them, um, with all of us, I should say, um, in terms of uh, offering some really specific um, um, tangible tools as, as to how to um, uh, process, navigate effectively a, a conversation that, um, that maybe people are less familiar with and, and taking that courageous conversation model and, and actually put it, putting it into practice. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other piece is that he's gonna be working with um, both the staff in the um, Kravis Center and the DEI office team to provide some more training and support so that we have more tools that are always gonna be present at our school to be on the ground and to be uh, supportive and, and um, reflective and responsive of what needs to happen in our community. There is a sense of urgency that's different right now in terms of investment, I think, um, in trying to make sure that every interaction is one that is with intention and understanding of context of the community in which we are living and working every day. And a lot of what has happened for many of us, as you said before, across the nation, whether it's in schools, whether it's in the workplace, whether, you know, where, where our community organizations, wherever it might be, there is a sense of, I think, renewed commitment and, and time sensitivity, urgency to, to, to some of these conversations, to leaning into having these difficult conversations. And, you know, they're not always difficult, but sometimes they are, um, depending on what you're talking about and who you're talking with and and not taking it as a defensive mechanism when you're having it but a but an educational one so I, I think that that whole idea is also very much infused in the work of the LC the Barwe group um, because we are in a predominantly white faculty and staff as well, even though we're certainly making significant strides there um, through our Dean of Faculty's office and our HR department in terms of diversifying our faculty. But if you just look at the statistics, like most of our schools and most of higher ed, this is, this is where we are. And so how do we better educate our white are predominantly white faculty as well. And just to clarify, when I refer to Barwe, that would be the 
Becoming Anti-Racist White Educator uh, Professional Development Group, which really in many ways is um, an affinity group, right, Elizabeth? Yeah, it is an affinity group for faculty who identify as white and who want to explore what they need to do in order to um, confront their own um, uh, biases, um, their, their um, lack of... Um, um, education, um, which is where books like the one you mentioned are really important um, mm -hmm. for us, for everyone, really, not just in Barwe, but for all of us who have um, exposed ourselves to a set of, um, of uh, literature that has been really created to understand what it means to be a white educator and what mm -hmm. that means when uh, within the context of a, um, a, a community that is um, catering to everyone, regardless of their um, background, their ethnic, racial, um, you know, sexual, uh, gendered background, right. uh, you know, any of those um, primary identities that have been um, in some ways um, um, that have been underserved. Right. So um, what I think is really critical when we have groups like that is that they do absolutely reflect a desire and a, um, an intention and action, right? Yes. So like the three things that are that are really important. It's not just thinking about it. It's not about saying I'm going to do it, but it's actually I'm doing something about it. Right. And um, and that's really really important. It's very critical for the work that we do. Um, and this is a group that just you know grew organically. Um, mm -hmm. It was not something that the institution said you must do this. Institutionally, what we have committed to is we need to um, uh, be more reflective of our community when we look at our faculty and staff of color. We don't have um, as many people of color in our staff and faculty as we wish we did, and therefore we are um, investing more resources and time to ensure that that does happen. Um, and it's not just about having them, but retaining our faculty mm -hmm. that are from underrepresented backgrounds. And in that regard, um, it is critical that we um, that we also see that the needs of our of, of that particular subgroup within our community are uh, met. Just as we understand that there are specific needs within our um, students, uh, our BIPOC students, our, our um, LGBTQIA students, our students from um, non-Christian, I should say, you know, our Muslim Jewish students or students who come from other uh, religious affiliations. Um, and um, even our students who have um, special needs, you know, what is it that we can do as an institution that addresses the needs of the, the students and also the faculty? When we have that strong faculty in place, um, then we're serving our students better as well. Right. So right, it's all right. integrated. It's all part of a big, big interconnected piece um, yes. in our community. Yes. Well, that's definitely been evident in the conversation that we've had today, without a doubt. And I love that, you know, those kind of those words of just desire, intention, and action, right? It has to be all three. And I think that when it comes to what's happening at the school right now in relation to, to your office, that's all three of those things are firmly in place. Um, and it makes it a really exciting time to be here. And I know you are incredibly busy. You're one of the busiest people on campus. 
because you do have your your hand in so many different things and and you are uh you know you're still are you, you're still teaching too right somewhere in there you've got a, a, a class that you're teaching I, I teach spanish five it's really exciting it's actually i i would not want to not teach um yep. being in the classroom is very very special to me so um I, I love teaching, but you're right. It does mean that um, I need to um, scramble around sometimes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. Well, I I love being able to see you every week at our administrative team meetings, and um, I'm you know I'm just we're all very appreciative of all the work that you're doing, and then, like I said, it's an exciting time to be here with everything that's going on. So I just want to thank you for taking the time to to do this today, fitting it into your busy schedule. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation. I always learn something new when we have a, a chat. And so I very much appreciate it. And uh, on that note, uh, thank you again to Elizabeth Parada, our Dean of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion here at Loomis Chafee. This has been Genuine Admissions. Thank you for listening.